Hey guys, I'm Daryl Calfee, host of Nothing to Hide, the Morn Giles podcast. Today's episode is with Whitney Tinsley. She's our Director of Education here at Morn Giles. She's got an extensive background and knowledge in the leather making process. And we're also going to talk a little bit about sustainability and what that really means here at Morn Giles. And to be honest with you, across the entire industry of leather. So join us today on Nothing to Hide. So what does a director of education do? Are you like a doctor of education or teach us, teach us what your day-to-day looks like? So the director of education is it's a title that really it's just keeping abreast of what's going on in the industry and trying to develop a process of teaching leather education so that people can understand what is so mysterious about the product itself. So we have produced a CEU that is certified by the IDCC, and that is a leather lesson that took all of a year to pull together simply because of all of the information that went into producing it. Uh, We start with a history of leather, we move into raw material, the leather making process, and then finish with the various types of leathers that you see. So that has been a great big piece of what I've been working on, and that is continuously evolving. Uh, It is offered online as well as instructed in person. Our sales reps do instruct this course in their uh, regions, their territories, and I travel throughout the country Uh, just presenting the leather education so that we can understand a little bit more about leather. And the other projects that we're working on would be a Declare label, which is a transparency label. I, I have been basically the project manager of overseeing the communications between the tanneries and and putting together the information of the ingredients and the processes that go into making leather. So it's really just keeping abreast of what's going on in in the industry. Tell us a little bit more about your job here and and the story of how you got to Morn Giles. My start began here actually at Morn Giles. I started out working in a role where I was merchandising leathers and and various colors and various textures and then from there I, uh, I moved into working for a company that manufactured leather furniture and I left that company and then went to work for a tannery and I spent uh, about two years there literally on the floor making leather with the folks at the tannery who produced it and then from there I, I came back to Moore and Giles so I found myself right back where I started and it's been wonderful, but it's the love of leather that's that's led me here. I have heard questions, you know, from people outside of our organization um, that I think are valid. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna spitball a couple of them at you, okay. and you just answer them, you know, kind of from the hip, if you will. Okay. Leather comes from cows. Yes. Um, why do you guys kill cows for leather? Okay, great question. So this is similar to the question of where do the hides for leather come from that I received when I was out uh, presenting the education in the field at one point. So hides are a byproduct of the meat and dairy industry. Hides exist only because of meat and dairy consumption. We utilize those hides in order to produce leather uh, as opposed to landfilling them or burning them, which would be the only alternatives if we didn't utilize them. There is a population of about 2.6 billion Uh, bovine animals, bovine being cow, in the world across all continents. And those, at any given time, those hides have to be disposed of if, if they are not utilized. And so in order to use, and most of what 
what is consumed in other products is coming out of that cow. If we didn't use it, we'd have to we'd have to landfill it or burn it, and that is that's gross waste, really, if you think about it. Mm. Um, so for us, utilizing those hides that are a byproduct is just a, it's a it's a reuse. It's kind of reuse recycle type of a thing. So in and of itself, being able to create leather from a what is essentially a byproduct in the hive is one of the most sustainable stories ever, yes. correct? Yes, and at the foundation and the fundamentals of sustainability, that is exactly what tanning is. It mm. is the reuse of something that would otherwise be disposed of. So I think where a lot of people might get hung up is in that tanning process itself, correct. right? So they say, hey, I was scrolling through Instagram or flipping through the channels the other day and I saw uh, a tannery in India where there are little children you know, making leather in their bare feet and dumping the chemicals uh, back into the water in the river in, in you know whatever country you want to you know third world country you want to talk about but that's not Morn Giles tell us a little bit about our tanneries um, you know maybe talk about you know what you've seen because you've worked in a tannery here in the U.S. yes um, and yes. you've also been to our tanneries around the world so kind of talk us through that and how Morn Giles creates our leather so the tanning industry is about a hundred billion dollar a year annual industry and that leather really not tanning but leather itself the commodity tanneries in the, the most common countries would be, and the common industry uh, continents would be India, China, and Brazil, where they have just massive industry in and around leather. Mm. There are lesser regulations. There are still NGOs, non-governmental organizations that do monitor and have an impact, but they are harder to regulate, and, and China has already started shutting down tanneries. I think last year, at one point, I referred to uh, one of the publications that we source, and they were closing down 85 at the time or something like that, I think. So they're cracking down on the industry, but it's those larger commodity, larger volume-driven tanneries that are really the culprit and the issue. You know, Morin Giles, we've partnered with tanneries since 1933. We, that, is, that is our business. And we focus on small family-run operations where you have between 130 and potentially 300 people on staff. But tanneries that have been run by generation after generation of families. Mm. So it is a craft combined with art, with chemistry, mm. that is being handed down and passed down by people that are friends and family with the folks that work in their tanneries. Yeah. So you're talking about, I'd make the reference to a winery or a vineyard or, or a distillery, a bourbon distillery, because it's very similar. You know, everybody that produces the product lives in the community. And the bare minimum that the tanneries have at at, at our level and what we do is is a pretreatment facility on site to to filter the water because these people have to return to work every day they have mm. to continue to be at, at work and this is their livelihood their job and and in a lot of these countries this industry is extremely important and it keeps people working so yeah. if we were to landfill a lot of these hides as we mentioned just previously it would actually bankrupt the taxes associated with landfilling hides would actually bankrupt countries. So the industry itself, if manufacturing properly, mm. the leather industry does provide jobs and does enrich communities. There are people that are giving back in a sustainable way to their employees and, and to their workers. But Morton Giles focuses on smaller run operations, family run, smaller run operations. And we pride ourselves on having 
really lifelong partnerships with these tanneries, mm-hmm. people that have become friends. Not only are they partners, but they're friends. You know, you and I have both been to our tanneries in Bassano del Grappa in Italy with Bernardo and his family, which is a fifth generation tannery. Yes. Tannery Haas out of France is a sixth generation tannery. Um, Omega out of Spain and our friend Alberto. You know, we're talking multiple generations of, of men and women who have tanned all their life. And so, like you said, they're living in these communities, mm-hmm. right? It's their water. It's their resources sources it's their livelihood and when you look at those eu regulations you know combined with that family business you start to realize like wow this this is being done in a proper and sustainable way and it is paying forward to the next generation etc etc when you look at our leather having less finish on it because we pride ourselves on a natural leather a leather that you can look into and you can see the beauty marks and the characteristics of the animal and no two are ever alike that lack of finishing, so to speak, also is in and of itself a sustainable practice, correct? Yes. The less you do to a product, regardless of what it is, the lesser impact it has on on the environment. And with us finishing, or what is the way that a leather looks at the end of the line, when the way that it is prepared and finished is referred to as finishing. In the finishing operations, we we really highlight a lot of leathers with waxes and oils and, and just a less is more approach that highlights the beauty of the leather without really trying to apologize for the natural markings that that are the nature of the product. So that has a lesser impact just with putting less finish on, on hides. Why wouldn't I just use a man-made material? What about vinyl or as we call it, polyvinyl chloride, right, right PVC, right. Um, or what about faux leather, which is vinyl or polyvinyl chloride. So tell me why leather over, um, and, and I know we're biased, obviously, like, let's just be honest, like, right. we, this is our business, right? We <laughs> yes. work in the leather industry. But like, when you really look at those materials side by side, leather versus a man-made material, why leather over that? I think the first thing that I think about at, as you ask that question is, the natural response of anybody to leather is a it's a sensory experience Mm. it's tactile it's audio i mean you you, we hear the sound of leather as it squeaks as we sit down in in a leather chair we have that sense of smell it's it's just got this very rich smell and the tactile feel and the appearance of it it's all of those senses combined that bring us to the reaction and response that we have to leather when we see it on a frame. Our VP of sales said, if you have to walk up to a frame and look at it, if you have to look at a chair and ask yourself, is that leather? If you have to get that close, you have lost all credit for that Mm. chair being leather in the first place. Because what it is, leather is so beautiful in its natural state that really it's the celebration of the material. So I personally believe it is how it engages our senses. That is beyond the impact of polyvinyl chloride. We say here that no one ever did say that, wow, that's a really good looking polyvinyl chloride on that chair. So man-made substrates have their place and there are innovative alternatives that are out there. You know, I've been recently reading about, you know, mushroom leather and fruit and jellyfish leather, but in its natural form, leather is truly beautiful for really just what it is. Mm. And because it's been with us since the beginning of time. Right. The fact that our ancestors lived with it as a necessity, you know, it's now become a symbol of sophistication and status in some cultures, I'm sure. But really, it has become more of a 
prestige for people than it once was, but it's that history that we have with it, I think, that also has the appeal. So those two things alone is why I think leather really is is special. We often joke that leather gets better with age yes. and just looks better the, the more that it wears in and you right. know it takes on the kind of the thumbprint of its owner. Absolutely. Whereas vinyl, <laughs> it gets it worse. looks worse of every day after you put it on yes. something, yes. right? Well, and I think, too, one of the things I didn't say but that I, you reminded me of is that leather is, is going to last generations. Mm-hmm. It will last, it will be handed down if a, a piece of furniture is built, bench made, it could be handed down from generation to generation. And that leather will adjust to the environment within which it lives. And it will be unique to the home it is in and or the building that it exists in. And it is really just a, a unique material. What does sustainability really mean? Like, could you teach us, you know, what does that word mean and, and how do we use it here at More Jobs? Okay, so sustainability refers to, this is textbook definition, sustainable development is development that meets the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. Basically what that means is, how much are we impacting the environment around right. us and what can we do to impact it less? Uh, and it's across all facets of life. Everything we do impacts the environment every day. Uh, sustainability in in our case, in leather, would be how are our processes, how can we improve our processes, mm. I guess is the best way to say it. And leather is a, a process of continuous improvement. You know, man used the hides that he was able to find in his environment to shelter and protect himself in the earliest of times. He was making use of something that was already there mm. in his environment. And we do less and less of that as a society mm-hmm. anymore. And so using we're still using the same the leather for very similar purposes. However, we are impacting the environment in a great way as a result. So for us, sustainability is constant improvement, looking at processes, whether it's tanning, whether it's reusing, whether it's finishing with less chemicals in the process of creating the leather so that it has a lesser impact. The words carbon footprint come up a lot as it pertains to leather. And who we are as a company, we we are a small batch processing operation, small batch house, okay? Think about bourbon distilleries. It's nice to compare it to, to wine and bourbon because actually winemaking has a very similar uh, process really and it takes place in, in wooden barrels hides are tanned in wooden drums. So there's a lot of similarities there. Maybe that's a conversation for a future podcast. Over a glass of wine. Right, of right. course, of course. Not coffee. So um, what what we're finding is that, you know, we're, we're trying to come up with new processes, innovative processes, less impactful processes. And at our scale, Morin Giles, the tanneries we partner with, we are tanning on such a small scale that we are not quite the commodity leather company that a lot of organizations and tanneries are just simply by by looking at numbers and square feet and, and whatnot. Yeah. So for us, it's kind of a bespoke kind of a, uh, I guess, small batch operation. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that we have, we have started looking into and, and actually will be launching in March is a new technology that is an olive tanning ingredient. It's steeped much like a tea is. We're utilizing olive leaves 
It is that is the tanning agent. So you where you have chrome tanning is historically the most uh, common commercial practice of tanning and vegetable tanning being in the second. This is a form of vegetable tanning, but it is using the fallen leaves of the olive tree, which is also a byproduct, which is very innovative and, and produces a very beautiful piece of leather. We're looking at tanning leather, a byproduct, with another byproduct in a fallen olive leaf. Yes. Uh, this is crazy, right, that you could do that. But essentially at its core, it's it's what? It's using tea? Yes. Like leaf tea? Like easiest, tell us about it. The easiest way to explain it is that it, it's brewed like a tea. So these leaves fall from the olive tree, and we they're not pruned. These trees are not pruned for the leaves. We basically take the olive leaves, and we brew them like a tea. And that brew, if you will, is the tanning agent that will convert the proteins within the hide and, and tan, because that's really what tanning is, right? Tanning is just the converting of a unstable material to a stable material by permanently adjusting the protein structure. So this olive leaf does that. You have to brew it like a tea to get there, but it really is an innovative and interesting process and one that is utilizing another byproduct. So what? How, how much more romantic can you get than that? A byproduct tanning a byproduct. Well, and even the harvesting of these leaves. So what right. I heard from you guys earlier was that even the harvesting of these leaves is a sustainable practice. Right. Number one, we're not pruning the trees for the leaves. And number two, the, the people that are doing this, right, we're talking about mature working adults in the Mediterranean region. We're not talking about right. like sending no. children out to gather up bags of leaves, no, correct? No, no, no. This is... This is totally done the right way, and it is done by – it's an industry. So cool. they're – Not to mention they don't have to burn them, correct? Right, correct. A lot like the hides where we don't have to bury or burn them. We don't have to bury or burn these leaves, Absolutely, correct? absolutely. Well, so what is the benefit then to this olive tanning process, right, which we would call a, a vegetable tanning process, right? Right. Over top of what we would – think is a traditional veg tan process? Well, it's my opinion that it's really not a better or worse or this or that conversation. At Moore & Giles, we view the olive tanning as an addition to the portfolio, if you will. Okay, so it is 80 to 90 percent, 85 to 90 percent of the production of leather in the world is produced by way of, of chrome tanning, which utilizes chromium sulfate, chrome 3, not chrome 6. Uh, and this is the bulk of what you see anywhere that you see leather. The other being vegetable tanning, that is the next uh, most viable, commercial, commercially viable, excuse me, tanning process. This olive tanning is so new that it is something that we thought, hey, this is some, we need to we need to look at this. We mm -hmm. need to take a look and see what it does. And what's interesting about olive tanning is that we have three different products that we're looking at launching, and they are all three different. Mm. One has a a little bit more of a uniform uh, finish appearance. The the second has a has you know nothing. It's got a pebble grain to it. It's, it's very rich. It's gorgeous. The third is a smooth kind of a polished look, but they're all different. Mm. So what we're finding is that we can still get a varying degrees of aesthetic appeal, different mm. looks, right, from the olive tanning, similarly to the veg to the chrome rather. Mm. Vegetable tanning provides some limitations just in coloring and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. So we're finding that this olive tanning technology is versatile. It, it offers us the opportunity to be able to 
really uh, offer new different products and different from each other. They don't all look the same. Yeah. So they're, they're very unique. Well, and I would say too, that anybody that is kind of challenging the thought process on this of the, of the tanning agent being, you know, 100% organic or natural is that we've actually tasted right. the tanning, yes. the, the tannage. You literally can eat the stuff that we're tanning the leather with. So yes, it's that safe. So to that degree, it's like 100% natural, natural right? Absolutely. When you look at this natural hide, to your point earlier, you know these hides are being tanned more local in small batches. Right. So there's not a lot of preserving happening besides chilling the hides with ice. So adding this organic material to the tanning process really is as close to 100% natural as it gets, right? We're actually, right now, we're applying for declare labels that are offered by the ILFI for these leathers. And essentially it's a nutritional facts listing of what the ingredients are in in a product. And it's anything from wood to carpeting. Uh, We are looking at potentially being the first leather to be declare labeled. So this is something that we're excited about for 2017. And and really, it's just a transparency label, but it's it's pretty unique and it offers consumers a an option that is different. That leads me into the question of why, right? Like, why would we go after this label or why would we really be concerned with sustainability? I mean, like, business is good, right? So it could be business as usual. Why do you feel like that we're really pushing in this direction? What you're finding is there are the projects are being specified by designers who are looking for something that offers a lesser impact. It gets back to that sustainability conversation. And so for us, this label will make this leather searchable in a database for designers that are looking for products that meet a certain specification Mm -hmm. for a project, a lead project, if you will. Mm -hmm. So it fits into a segment of business that is very specific in what is being sourced. It's a very elitist uh, environment, if you will. And so this is just uh, an opportunity to be able to to play in that sandbox mm-hmm. and to offer a product that may be perfect for that project. Now, not all projects are like this. You know, you look at 85 to 90 percent of what's produced in the world today is chrome tanned. And that 65% of what is produced in tanned leather today is produced for the footwear industry. Mm. So it's not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just that this is, it's a niche market. It's, yeah. it's something that this leather will speak to those those challenges that yeah. that designer may have. And uh, so it, it's it's really, that is, that is the reason. What is the one thing that you wish every designer knew about leather? What is the one thing you wish you could make basic knowledge for everybody about leather? That's a great question. The first thing I want to say is it's okay if it scratches, (laughs) (laughs) but that may not be. It's going to outlast pretty much anything that you put on on your frame, whether it's a banquette or whether it's a sofa or a chair in your home. Leather is really going to take on the personality of the environment within which it lives. I think that my my one thing might just be not to be scared because mm. 
we do concern ourselves with the fact that it may scratch a lot, our consumers do, and there's really nothing nothing wrong with that. I think understanding and trying to educate will help people to not have that fear, but use it, live with it. It is not a completely carefree substrate, but it's definitely one where you can live with it and you don't have to worry with it. You don't have to fret over it. So. Uh, I just wish that they would watch it really turn into what it is. You've been with leather all of your professional career. A great portion of it. Yeah, in some shape or form. Do you still love it? Oh, yeah. Why? Tell me about, like, the personal connection to it. I love leather. It's, like I said, mostly for the sensory experience that it is. I was told when I started in the leather industry that eventually the smell you'd no longer smell. And there is not one day that I walk in the doors of this building and I don't smell the leather. Actually, that was the initial draw to the industry in the first place for me was, golly, you know, these beautiful colors, these beautiful textures. And I I like the idea of making use of something that... Mm would otherwise have to be disposed of. And for me, that's that's important. I, I love the less is more approach. And I also love it because it is so hard to make a piece of leather. It's very mm. similar to manufacturing of anything in that it's a process, but it is a natural substrate. It is nearly impossible to dominate because you can run that same tannage every day for five years. And one day you run it the same way and mm. it deviates and it turns out to look a little bit different. Mm. And I think it's that challenge. It's that dance that we do in the process processings. It is just very special. I love what you what you get at the end of the line. So where can people learn more about leather and the education that you've put together? And basically, how can they fall in love with it as much as you have? Our website is fantastic just for being able to order a sample and take a look at something in person. Leather is one of those things that's hard to shop for online. You've got to get it in your hands and hold on to it to be able to appreciate it. But the website is great. We have a link to take our CEU. You can click and take the free course online. So if you go to www.moreandgiles.com, at the very top there is a a small bar that has a, a link to the CEU. And if you're an ASID certified designer or an IIDA designer, you can get credit for the course. If you're just interested in learning about leather, you can sign on and take it and, and be a guru too. But it is involved. It takes about an hour and, um, you know, there's lots of tools on the website. So Cool. Well, we'll put all of those links in the show note and give you a direct link to the um, CEU class. And you don't have to be a designer. You don't have to be a student. You can just hear this podcast and say, I'm interested to learn more about how things are made, specifically leather. And so I'll, I'll do it. Too. And it's, it's completely free from uh, Orange Isle. So and we'd like to thank Whitney Tinsley, our Director of Education, for being here today. Thanks, Whitney. Thank you. You can find out more about our CEU and our online education at morangiles.com. Check back with us for our next episode of Nothing to Hide.